live for another amazing episode of the Chutzpah Podcast. And the Chutzpah Podcast, just in case you don't remember, is for change makers and visionaries moving our community forward in different ways. With a healthy audacity. Any audacity. Is Any audacity. Yeah. That's right. I like, I like him already. And <laughs> our guest, Peter Shankman, has no dearth of... Chutzpah. I thought you were going to say filter. <laughs> <laughs> that too. Well, that that too. Be, <laughs> is it part. one and the same? <laughs> so for those who have not heard of Peter, I will try and do my darndest to give a Drum brief out. introduction for a man who has done so many things in his time on this earth that it is uh, difficult to keep up. Um, I'll start with the introduction that <laughs> is on his website. It says, Peter Shankman is a spectacular example of what happens when you merge the power of pure creativity with ADHD and a dose of adventure and make it work to your advantage. So I thought that was pretty well put. Thank you. Um, Peter is an author, an entrepreneur, a corporate keynote speaker. He is most well known for founding Harrow. Harrow. How do you pronounce Harrow. it? Harrow. Harrow. Yeah. Harrow. Can we... Okay. Yeah. She wanted that. to. No, she wanted to do a little. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Which is help a reporter out. Um, it's an incredible resource where reporters can very quickly access a huge listserv database of people who can give them the information they need to make stories happen and happen quickly. He is also the podcast host of Faster Than Normal, which explores the gift of ADHD and other. Neuroatypical conditions. When he's not uh, doing all the other things uh, that I mentioned, he is running marathons. 12, correct me if I'm wrong, Peter, or I need to update this. I need to update it. It's actually, I think, 16. Okay, yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, I've only done 12, personally. (laughs) um, 16 Olympic distance Triathlons. triathlons. And one Ironman. Two Ironman. Uh, How many skydiving are you up to? Give us the latest. Yeah, give us the latest. Two Ironman, 15 or so, half Ironman, um, too many to count, Olympic distance triathlons. And then I'm a licensed skydiver with just about 480 jumps, I think. And you're a class B. I'm a class B B skydiver. What does that mean? So class B, it's about how many jumps you have. And um, the higher the class, so it goes A, B, C, D, and the higher mm-hmm. the class, the more things you can do and the more time you can go between jumps without having to get recertified. Class D lets you jump pretty much anywhere. You can do demos into stadiums and things like that. Um, I'm nowhere near that. Where's the coolest? Soon. You'll get your, there. Your, your, your coolest place I've ever jump. jumped. Yeah. Um, I've jumped in Dubai. I've jumped in Barcelona. Um, you know, it, it, the, for me, it's the views. Um, I've jumped in San Diego, which is amazing because you have, as you're doing a, a 360 in the air, you get the ocean, the mountains, um, San Diego, and Mexico. Like, just... Wow. Wow. You, know, in, in, you are in, selling this. It's pretty I mean, cool. Skydiving is pretty fun. If you what, ever want to go, I'll take you. For if, if I were to go skydiving with anyone, I would I've I taken. Would go I've taken almost all my friends. I was thinking of starting with one of those indoor ones. Yeah, that's fun, too. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I do that a lot. I took my daughter to that. She loved it. She's yeah. four, four and a half. I took her. She was just <laughs> having a field day. Me and a four and a half year old can party. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. great. Exactly. No, awesome. it's, it's fun. It's, it's, a, it's something very cool to do. There's so many ways that Peter has is improving our world using his hmm. audacity and and um, taking labels that others have used to Negatively. limit yeah. to limit potential, and he has busted through all different types of ceilings and and used something that might be seen as a disorder or an atypical condition as a true gift. 
Um, and so we really want to focus on on that aspect of what you do, because I think it's a, a, a tremendous message to our listeners and anyone who feels a little uh, that they're struggling with with any sort of um, condition. Yeah. Um, and how do you use that well, as I mean, a gift? When I was growing up, ADHD didn't exist. It was sit down, you're disrupting the class disease. <laughs> and that was literally, I mean, every single report card um, had the comment of needs to pay attention to class, needs to sit quietly in class, needs to stop disrupting the class. Um, learned at a very early age. I don't play well with others. And, um, but what I didn't realize until probably 10 years ago was that because I was never diagnosed until about 10 years ago and I never went on meds or anything like that growing up, I was creating a sort of a life for me, sort of rules for me, um, that allowed me to do my best. I didn't realize at the time it was just me being weird, but you know, I had dyslexia as a kid also. And the problem for me was I was, I'd see stuff on the board. It was a motor visual impairment. I'd see stuff on the board. I wouldn't be able to write it down. And a doctor said, why don't you get him a typewriter? This is like the early eighties. So I actually had a, <laughs> I had a word processor called the brother EP 44, which was a, essentially a, a, a printer with a keyboard on it. And it had a whopping 2k of RAM. 2K, I could type exactly 2,048 characters before it shut down. Um, but what was awesome was that I learned how to uh, type. And I still, to this day, type about 140 words a minute. Wow. And, you know, so here I am, the, the weird kid in school, getting picked on and beaten up because he brought a typewriter to class. But I turned that into an advantage because I could take notes super fast, copy everything down, and then sell the notes. So here and I am so in seventh grade to, to not get beat up. I started selling the notes to all the kids so they didn't have to do anything during class. And wow. so here I am making money and not getting beaten up. It was great, you know, but that's, and that's how my brain worked. I didn't re- again, I didn't realize at the time that's one of the benefits of a faster brain. You figure out, okay, this position that I'm in right now sucks. Let's change it and figure out how to change it, which is, you know, the, the, the end of the day, it comes down to not caring what the norm is, mm-hmm. I think is the best way to put it. Um, everything I've done has been questionable in the eyes of the typical person. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 1998, it'll be, it'll be 20 years this year that I went out as an entrepreneur because I, I worked at America Online and America Online was my first job out of college. I spent three years there and they didn't care how you worked. Mm-hmm. They just wanted to make sure you get stuff done. It was, it was Steve Case, this day is a genius. And, and he was like, guys, I don't care what you do. Get the job done. How you do it, you do it at home, you do it at two in the morning, whatever, just get it done. And that was awesome because I could set my own schedule. I could do everything I wanted myself. And then I leave AOL and I come back to New York and I, I take a publishing job. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what do you mean I have to be in at 8.30 in the morning? And I, I, wait, I have to, we get 45 minutes for lunch. What is this, Russia? You know, it didn't, <laughs> it was, and I lasted two weeks yeah. before I quit. I'm like, I can't do this. And so I went on my own and I said to my parents, okay, I'm, I'm going on my own. I'm starting a company called The Geek Factory. It's going to be a public relations firm for tech companies. And they just, my parents just used to just sort of shaking their head. I say, okay. <laughs> and I said, and I was so confident it wouldn't succeed. I said, look, when it fails, I'll get a job. Not if it fails. You were, yeah, at that I point. I said that. I said, you... when it fails... Well, it's been 20 years later, 20 years, and I haven't had to get a job. So I'm, I'm considering myself really, really fortunate. But again, it was that 98 was not, the Zuckerbergs didn't exist. We didn't know that much about Bill Gates. 98 wasn't the, the day of uh, the entrepreneur like it is today. Yeah. You know, I went out on my own, and everyone thought I was crazy. And I, I, but I set up, again, 
the thing about ADHD is is you have to set rules for yourself. Um, I have four undeniable life rules, which I'll talk about. But like, even back then, I lived in a studio apartment the size of like this table, and one of the rules is that when I got up in the morning, I had to take a shower, I had to get dressed, I had to put on my shoes. At, before I sat down at my computer to work, mm-hmm. right? Because the first six months I was on my own, I'd hear all my neighbors in my apartment building leaving for work and I felt unemployed even though I had clients. Yeah. And so I forced myself to get up, get dressed, put on my clothes, put on my shoes, and I could have the TV on, but it could only be on CNN. Mm-hmm. It couldn't be on like, you know, game shows or anything like the Cartoon Network. Lifetime. It had to be work, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> it had to be work. <laughs> Lifetime, where men are bad. <laughs> and then, um, you know, that was my goal. And so, and I did that and it worked because I felt like I was working. I felt like I was back in a newsroom. Um, and yeah, so I started a PR firm uh, for about three years. Ran when it for about three years when I was started when I was twenty six, sold it when I was twenty nine. Decided to take a year off, and that lasted about a week. I got bored. I literally I went to Asia. I was hanging out on a beach in Thailand. I'm like, this is gorgeous. Wow, look at that sunset. I am so bored. <laughs> and I, I remember I called my mom from the airport in Tokyo. I'm like, I'm flying home. She's like. It's like, were you supposed to take a year? What happened? Like, you never taught me how to relax. Oh. And um, Wait, I'm sorry. Your Jewish mother never taught you how Jewish to relax? Jewish mother never. Right. What a shock, right? That's surprising. My parents were teachers Personally. for 40, 40 plus years. They retired for about an hour apiece and became NYU professors. I mean, literally, like the next day they were at NYU. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had an incredible career. My mom retired as director of performing arts for the entire city school system. Wow. My dad retired as principal of Talent Unlimited High School. On the, uh, so we see where you, where you get your uh, underachieving streak. Exactly. Uh-huh. And now they're both NYU professors. They teach uh, music education. They teach the teachers how to teach music. So, but that was the thing. I grew up with parents. They weren't entrepreneurs. They were they were teachers. Right. right. They started teaching. Four years later, they quit teaching, and that, and that was what you did. Yeah. And so right. I don't I don't the entrepreneurial uh, bone in my body had to come from ADHD. Mm-hmm. And if you talk, I mean, on my podcast on Faster Than Normal, where we where we believe ADHD is a gift, and we interview people with it. We had Seth Godin. We've had um, Tony Robbins, uh, Joe DeSena from the Spartan Race. All these people. Um, who have ADHD and, and credit it to their success, um, mm-hmm, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very much the same. But but again, you have to have rules. You have to put rules into place to make sure that yeah. um, you don't screw up. To make sure that you don't. Um, it's very easy to go off track. Right, right. Do you have any memories um, from when you were young that you can sort of crystallize in your mind when you shifted from viewing the way your brain worked differently from something that was frustrating and a limitation to something that was an asset and a gift? Not when I was young. Because when I was young, it, all I knew is I was different. And it, you know, growing up, your one job is not to be different. Your one job is to fit in. And yeah. I did not. I did not by a long shot. I had very few friends. Um I remember, I mean, you know, you go back to all the things that like the, the, the starting, a, starting a company, um, being an entrepreneur, skydiving, marathoning, all that stuff, you know, none of that was like planned out. It all happened. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing with ADHD. Things happen. And the rules you put into place let those things happen positively or negatively. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's no middle ground. I don't know how to moderate. Right. You ever, you ever um, get home after a long day's work and you order a pizza and you have a couple of slices, put the rest in the fridge? Yeah. All right. That's called leftover pizza. I've never had leftover pizza in my life. If you I order a pizza, pie. I eat the pizza. And You're so, in it to win it, no huh? matter what it is. No matter what it is. It doesn't matter. It could be huh. deep dish. It could be, it could be you know, f- 24 slices. I will eat the pizza because it's in front of me. You should know, whoever's listening, that Peter is now on this. Um, this is my last called? day of an eight-day water fast. Yes. Uh, so it's not like. I'm a little. It's funny. I'm ironically a little slower than normal today. But <laughs> but no, it's been water and coffee for no, a day. He's about at, at, at our speed. Which, exactly. Which I mean, is why slower we, than normal is, is, is typical, right? That's why we invited him to to, to, uh, <laughs> to be here uh, on the eighth day of his water fast. So we, you we gotta, can keep up. You got to have those rules because like that's why I quit drinking. Uh-huh. Um, I, would, I wouldn't have one drink. I'd have six. Right. And I wasn't trying to get drunk. I wasn't going out around and pillaging villages. It was there in front of me. Yeah. yeah you know, you yeah. go to industry events, there's an open bar. 
If yeah. I don't have any, I won't have any. If I have one, I'll have 10. So tell us about your four life rules. So they're actually really simple. The first rule is sleep. You have to get seven to eight hours a night. So I am up at the crack of dawn because, and actually before dawn, I'm usually up around 3.45, 4 a.m. Because being a single dad, the only time I can work out when I have my daughter is before she wakes up. Mm-hmm. And I can't run outside when I have her. So I bought a Peloton bike. It's changed my freaking life. A Peloton is a, it's an an internet connected spin bike and it has a 32 inch screen in the front. You take live class, not 32, 22 inch screen. You can take live classes as they're happening and it's just like you're in a spin studio and then they have thousands on demand. Um, Wow. Greatest thing ever. It's like SoulCycle from your house. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. But like a thousand times better. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the first rule is sleep. You got to get enough sleep. Um, So if I want to get up at 345 to work out, I'm asleep by 815, right? My daughter uh, goes to bed at eight. I'm out by 815. And it's awesome. Um, the second rule is exercise. People with ADHD have 25% less monoamine inhibitors in their brain. Monoamine inhibitors are the things that create dopamine, serotonin, and adrenaline. ADHD isn't, isn't being hyper for the sake of being hyper. It's being hyper because you're constantly looking around for something to excite you mm-hmm. that gives you the same chemicals that normal people mm-hmm. have ready. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a reason I became a skydiver. There's a reason I became a, a, a marathon runner. There's a reason I love talking on, on stage. Those things get me high, for lack mm-hmm. of a better word. It's literally a dopamine boost. And so, uh, for me, exercise does that in the morning. And because I have all that chemistry from two hours of cycling or whatever the case may be, that gets me through my day focused, mm-hmm. right? So, exercise is mandatory. Third rule is the elimination of choice. Um, I have two, two, I have a big closet in my bedroom and it has two sides and they are labeled. The first side says uh, office slash travel and it's t-shirt and jeans. And the other side says speaking slash TV and it's a button down shirt, jacket and jeans. And that's it. You know, if I had like all my sweaters, my, my, my high holiday suits, all that stuff, those are in my daughter's closet in another room. Because if I had a look through all that clothes, clothing every day, Okay, what should I wear? Oh my God, that vest. I remember that vest. Laura gave me that vest. I wonder how she's doing. I should look her up. It's three hours later. I'm naked in the living room on Facebook and I haven't left the house. Right? That is harder for women. But it's not. I can, I can, you can make, you can create a closet that has 24 pieces of clothing, all of which match in some capacity. You pick one, you pick another, you pick another, and you're done. It's actually not that hard. It's true. You really can do that. And, and I think we could have much fewer. It has changed items, my life. Yeah. I mean, the, the the minimalistic living. Have women done this? Oh God, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've had people on the podcast, women who who do that all the time. And I, I had a, I had a, 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 my husband has after me to do that. It is. I'm telling you, minimalistic lifestyle is the most incredible thing. If you if you don't, you know how the Mac, if you don't, or your iPhone, if you don't look at photos on your in your phone for like two months, it automatically backs them up to the cloud and then gets rid of them. That's a setting you can use. Backs them up to the cloud. So they're still there, but they're saving space in your phone. Mm -hmm. We have to strive to live like that in our lives. So if I'm not using... I've told my daughter, if she doesn't use a toy for two months, every three months, we go into her toy chest. And if she hasn't used a toy in three months, we give it to charity. I love that. Okay. And it's great. It keeps... We are a society that that, that measures our our, our worth on stuff. And that's... I've done it with the closet, actually. In the beginning of the year, I'll turn the hangers one way. Uh And then if I haven't used it, then I just... I, I, I donate them. Mm-hmm. And so, so the elimination yeah. of choices is, is huge, and that the minimalistic lifestyle is great. Um, How do you do elimination of choices with food? So well, one way is to only drink water. Just, yeah, for exactly. Eight drink days. water for eight days. No, I don't recommend that. Um, <laughs> my uh, so my um, fresh direct order 
is the same each week. And it's very simple, and I just order it. And so for food, I'm very much aware. I order a lot of the same things every week. I try to keep a ketosis lifestyle where I'm, um, I get the majority of my calories from fat and very few carbs. I, I think I take about less than 20 carbs a day, 20 grams of carbs a day. Um, you know, and so I figured out ways to get around that. I don't. I, I, I rarely eat bread. Passover kills me because you know <laughs> you, it, the the matzah and the, the matzah and the uh, matzah ball soup. I mean, like literally, you be your friend because you could avoid so much gluten. Matzah is literally a, one giant. If you if you look at the dictionary, it's like show me a picture of a carb. It's just a piece of matzah that is literally a carb. And so, but other than that, like I don't have bread in the house except for the kid. And so for me, I'll if I'm hungry, if I need to nosh or whatever, I'll just take like, you know, some salami. Or mm-hmm. you know some some roast beef or whatever, and just slather it with like mayo, ketchup, uh, mustard, whatever, and make and just roll it up and eat it like a sandwich without the bread. Um, the nice part of that is that you you don't have to think about it. Right. But, Wait. What's know, rule number four? Um, oh, Perfect. eating healthy. Eating healthy. There we just go. The concept that you know if you eat like crap, you're gonna feel like crap. If you put in crap food into your system, your brain is gonna function as well. We're already twenty five percent behind the curve. We have to get ahead of that. And so that's how you change ADHD from a gift to a, from a curse to a gift is 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 doing wow. those things and basically two rules. If my grandmother wouldn't have recognized it as food in 1905, I don't eat it. And that's if it amazing. has a com- if it has a commercial, I won't eat it. I'll try not to if eat it. It has a commercial. Yeah. When was the last time you saw a commercial for spinach? Yeah. Right. But I you, but you but I guarantee it. You, you're going to see a commercial for fast food, for pizza, for you rarely see a commercial for healthy food. Tell me more about how. When did you start? When did that happen? When you're ADHD, you talk to everyone. You talk to everyone because you're naturally curious. And by talking, I actually mean listening. If I'm on a plane next, if I'm on a plane sitting next to you, if you're my seatmate, unless you fake your death, I don't know everything about you by the time we land. I've only had two people fake the death, and I fly a lot. Um, <laughs> so what's the point of that? The point of that is that over the 20 years that I've been on my own consulting and entrepreneuring, Take a lot of plane flights and meet a lot of people. And they're in- everyone has an interesting story. The tagline of Harrow is everyone's an expert at something, because we are. And so for me, everyone I meet winds up my Rolodex. You guys mm-hmm. are younger than 30. A Rolodex is like Outlook, but it had cards and you'd turn it. Um, I've heard of such things. Okay, good. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I would put everyone in my Rolodex. And because I worked in PR and I know a lot of reporters, I, I would email them once a year. Hey, guys, I'm not pitching you. Just letting you know I have a ton of connections if i can ever help you on a deadline feel free to reach out and they would and they started reaching out more and more uh the straw that the camel's back was the wall street journal reporter who called me said hey i got your name for someone in the new york times um i'm doing a story on nigerian farming and he told me you had a ton of friends that know about that kind of stuff (laughs) (laughs) what you know well 12 hours later i found a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend who was like a professor at usc in geology and knew about the new york and i put the two together like that took my entire freaking day like there's got to be a better way to do this I made a mailing list. It was originally a Facebook group. And we outgrew that and moved over to a mailing list like a month later. And I would start sending out these queries where reporters would email me. And they'd say, hey, who do you know? I'd say, no, let me send it to my list. Mm-hmm. And it was, I wasn't doing it to make money. I was doing it like to be a nice guy. Um, within six months, we had like 25,000 people, 50,000 wow. people on the list. What's the number today? 200,000? I, I no, I think it's around 400,000, 450,000, wow. something like Gotta that. Got to update your site. Well, I sold it. I mean, I sold it... Oh. God, it'll be eight years ago next yeah, month. Yeah, in 2010. Yep, eight years ago next month. I and, did my uh, research. Yeah, by the time I sold it, we had a quarter million people on the site using it every day. Um, we'd send out, we were sending out three text-based emails every day, or 750,000 emails a day. 
all double opt-in. And here's the thing. We had a 79% open rate. Wow. Which is obscene. But, you know, and I'm never going to have that again. It was email crack. The day that you don't open the harrow, there's a reporter doing a story on your industry and you blew it. Right? You missed it. Mm, so mm-hmm. you had to open it. Yeah. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. And, um, yeah, it was good stuff. So it was acquired in 2010. And, uh, again, it just goes back to the concept of helping people. It goes back to the concept of helping people. Yeah. In a more efficient you way. You want to help people. And that's what, that's what we did. Okay. Now I want to talk chutzpah. So uh, we like the word chutzpah, which is why I made this podcast, because when we say it, we feel uh, more lively than we did before. <laughs> and I'd like to hear a little bit about uh, your chutzpah streak, when it served you well, as it has seemingly done throughout your career, and um, when it has posed challenges, or when you first discovered that you had chutzpah. I think if you asked my parents, they'd say that I was born born with it. I mean, I was... They told me at one time there was this. They, they had this friend who was a psychiatrist who was doing like research on babies. <laughs> I was like a year old or something, and they put the 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 the, the psychiatrist rolled a ball and they wanted to see how I'd get it. <laughs> and they did this like two or three times. And each time I'd go get the ball, and the third time apparently the ball rolled under the couch or behind the bookcase and whatever. The, and the psychiatrist said, "Oh, you know, don't worry about it." Well, me, I managed to get under the couch, get myself stuck behind the bookcase. But when they finally pulled me out, I had the ball. <laughs> and so my mom always tells that story um, as sort of an example of, of, of chutzpah. For me, when I hear chutzpah, I think of, I remember being on a flight coming back from Israel. And behind me was an Orthodox Jewish man who truly believed that the plane was his. Right? It was like... Had to be asked three times to get off his phone so we could take off. Um, stood up when the seatbelt sign was on. You know, the plane lands and he stands up, walks, pushes me out of the way because his bag, his overhead was like in front of me. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, dude, we're all getting off the plane at the same time. You need to chill. Go back to your seat. You'll get your bag as we're getting off. And that to me was, when I hear chutzpah, I think of like annoying. There's, there's, there's. Chutzpah, I guess there's... There's chutzpah, like, who do you think you are? Yeah, that's bad chutzpah. Right. Good chutzpah is every time in a meeting or at a dinner or whatever, if there's a woman present, I stand up when she comes to the table. I stand up when she goes to the bathroom. I, I, just, really? I learned this from Tony Bennett. Yeah. Tony, I had a meeting with Tony Bennett once, and and my mom I wound up that he he knew my father. They I don't know how... Long story short, we went to Nobu together, and um, it was my mother, my father, me, Tony Bennett, Tony Bennett's 29-year-old girlfriend. And... Uh, we we went to dinner and at some point during the we'd never been I've never been we walked in without a reservation because he's you know Tony freaking Bennett and um, halfway through dinner my mother gets up to go to the bathroom and Tony Bennett stands up and Arthur comes back to the bathroom and Tony Bennett sets up again we leave the restaurant and um, Tony Bennett and his his twenty year old girlfriend get into their waiting car and my mom my dad and me are heading to find a cab and my dad's like my God what a great meal I'm like yeah that food was incredible and my mom says Tony Bennett stood up for me when I left the table mm-hmm. and then didn't talk to either of us for a week yeah. so <laughs> that. And I'm glad I learned that when I did. I was like my my early twenties or late twenties. I've never not stood up for someone. And it's it's chutzpah is basically this: standing up from the table. No one freaking does that anymore. I do. That's chutzpah, right? Knowing that I can own the room, I can own anything I want simply by being one percent better. That's my version of chutzpah. Right. So the healthy good chutzpah is you're saying when you stand up. When the healthy good chutzpah is just. Working every day to be a little bit better than the common, right? I want to hear a little bit about how your uh, Jewish identity has played into your life journey. So here's the funny thing. Typical New York City conservative Jew in that I 
did four years of hellish Hebrew school, got bar mitzvah to 13, and then immediately puked up everything I ever learned and forgot about it and go to temple twice a year for Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. Then, in 2008, my grandmother passed away. 98 years old, the woman closed down the bar. And she was incredible. And she was really the only grandma I, I knew. I mean, like, I, I, she, I'd stay at her house, you know, whenever my parents went away. Whatever. She was grandma. And I had a really close relationship with her. When my grandfather died, I was like nine months old. And my grandmother would always tell the story about how when my grandfather died, my parents had been married like two years, and my father volunteered to say Kaddish for my grandfather so my mother wouldn't have to do it. And I, my, my mother swears that was the day that, that her mother, my grandmother, started loving my father more than her. But when my grandmother passed away, I don't know what prompted this. I went to my mom. I said, Mom, I'd like to say Kaddish for Grandma on, on your behalf. And she thought about it. She said, I think that'd be wonderful, Peter, that Grandma would have loved that. That's, that's wonderful. So I started going to the Garment Center Synagogue, two blocks from my apartment or whatever. And uh, it's the only synagogue open near me that, you know, for, for morning services. And mind you, I'm the guy, I'm, I'm the, I'm the Jewish guy walking to temple eating a bacon, egg and cheese. I mean, it's not, you know, the, the, it, it is what it is. I go and a couple of weeks in, the rabbi comes over to me, so, you know, you're new here. I see you, you paid your dues. You, you join it. It's wonderful to have you. I say, what's your story? I tell him about grandma. He's like, oh, that's, that's lovely. That's wonderful. Like, so you read Hebrew. I'm like, oh, t- totally. Yeah. I'm <laughs> lying my ass off. He's okay. Rabbi tosses a sidor at me, tosses a sidor at me. He says, read something. Read, 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 read. Say, and I, I take this and I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. Um, bar, bor, be, bear, and the rabbi looks at me, baruch. I'm like, oh, damn, okay, I knew that, you know. And he totally catches me. And he says, um, okay, I understand why you're here. It's okay. You, you, you forgot everything. Here's what we're going to do. You know, services, they start at 745. You're going to come at 720 every day and I'll teach you, I'll teach you Hebrew again. You'll learn again. It'll be a year. You'll learn. And next thing I know, I'm outside of, this, of the temple going, what the hell just, what the hell was that? How was this an alternate universe? <laughs> I call my mother. I'm like, Mom, so here's the story where we are right now. And I tell her that I have to go in 20 minutes, 25 minutes early every day to learn Hebrew again. My mother starts crying on the phone. This is wonderful. This is Grandma's <laughs> legacy. This is the, I'm like, you know, it would have been a great legacy, too. Money. Money, money would have been good, a good thing. <laughs> P.S. I did it. And whenever I wasn't traveling, I would wow. go to temple early, and I'd, I'd relearn Hebrew. And now, still eating the bacon and cheeses, but I do have a much more, a much more um, spiritual and Jewish identity now than I did say 20 years ago i'll be in a different country and i was in i was in london a couple mm-hmm. of a couple of years ago and or a couple months ago and it was a friday night and i said you know i have time to kill my i'm meeting until tomorrow let me go find the temple and there's something amazing about being ten thousand miles away or five thousand miles away from what you everything you know and yet the prayers are all the same and the songs are all the same and it's 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 really cool here's the thing the one thing that bugs me about judaism it's like i remember when i uh-oh, was oh no it's not okay. a bad thing I no just, listen then i just remember when i was when i was this is, this getting married i was i had my I'm, I, now my ex-wife we're still great friends I'm like Kira let's go to temple I, I, I want you to meet the rabbi at this garment center synagogue and, and so we go for a morning service and you read the daily morning prayers what's the very second prayer thank you for not making me a woman I'm saying crap um, you know and it just I, it irks me my yeah. husband doesn't say that and no I, it rabbi. really really irks me and yeah. you know Call me a feminist, whatever you want. I just I have a problem with that, and it's it's that's probably the only issue I have with with Judaism, and and so you're my, not the only one. My daughter's, oh, I'm sure. My daughter's at uh, she's finishing up her second year at the Stephen Wise uh, Free Synagogue and Early Childhood uh, Development Center, which by the way is a total misnomer because there is nothing freaking free about the Stephen Wise Free <laughs> Synagogue and Early Childhood. I just want to go on record. There's nothing. I can tell you how much money I've spent the past two years for her in, for her nursery school. There's nothing free about that school, that's but um, it's an awesome school. They're wonderful people, and I lo- they have a female rabbi and the female cantor and. 
I just love that. Right? Yeah. And, and so I'm glad she's growing up with a Jewish identity. Um, <laughs> we have this thing every morning. I, I, I make her check her pulse. Right? You got to make sure you're still alive. And she checks her pulse every day. And she, I guess, learned from school that, you know, God is, is, is responsible for everyone. And so she checks her pulse. She goes, I feel it. I'm still alive. And then I hear her go, thank you, God. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. So it's like, it's a great feeling. And I don't want her to ever feel that there's an exclusionary aspect to it because yeah. she's a woman, yeah. not yeah. by a long shot. Yeah. So let's all uh, check our pulse for a second. I think I think uh, mine's going a little little faster after this conversation. Right. Eh. Peter, thank you so much. Um, check Peter out faster than normal um, on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts, yeah. and on social at. Uh, I'm at Peter Shankman on all the socials. I run a entrepreneurs mastermind group at shankminds.com, and then my email feel free to reach out is just peter at shankman.com to fill in and spandex to fill in and spandex oh coming my god soon. that's awesome <laughs> coming that's soon awesome. um thank you thank cool. you thanks so guys much. thank you this is awesome this episode of the Chutzpah Podcast was recorded by Shira Hanau and edited by Rebecca Honig Friedman. Our theme music is by Glazer Drive. The Chutzpah Podcast is a joint project of Jofa and the New York Jewish Week. You can listen on iTunes, SoundCloud, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please remember to subscribe, and if you like what you hear, please consider giving us a positive rating.